Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I'm a female leader in sports. I'm the general manager of a AAA baseball team in minor league baseball, and I'm the first woman to hold this title in nearly 20 years. And I'm here with the Leadership is Female podcast to make sure that this amount of time never goes by again before another woman leads. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here to interview successful women in sport to uncover opportunity, learn the tips, learn from our mistakes, learn from our successes to get you to the top faster. Join me and my guests week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. I will lead her forward because leadership is female. Welcome to episode 13 of the Leadership is Female podcast. I am interviewing Patricia Artie, Director of Strategic Partnerships for the U.S. Soccer Foundation. I want to tell you how I got this interview. Ann Marbarger, who I interviewed in episode two, introduced me to Patricia through a previous intern. First, I have to remind you to check out Ann's interview if you've not listened. Ann is incredible. She's a former pro soccer player in Iceland, worked for Deloitte Consulting, the U.S. Treasury Department, and is now the current executive director for Padres Pedal the Cause. I can't miss this opportunity to brag about Anne. Anyway, Anne received an email from a former intern who now works for Patricia named Jenny. The email was a glowing recommendation describing why Patricia would be a perfect person to interview for the Leadership is Female podcast and asking if Anne would recommend her. Of course, Anne did, and I bring you Patricia's interview today. I share this story because this is an awesome example of women supporting women. Jenny went out of her way to contact Anne, to contact me, to contact Patricia, so that her story and advice for women could be heard. Follow Jenny's lead and support your fellow females today. Now, on to Patricia. She started her career with the U.S. Soccer Foundation and is still there nine years later. She tells us why and demonstrates the opportunity for growth within an organization. She's got a phenomenal work ethic and is putting full-time work plus pursuing an MBA together, which she will no doubtedly earn in the spring of 2021. Patricia offers advice on managing workload, personal interests, promotion, partnership, and offers a new view of a career in sports. Listen in and listen up. Let's go episode 13, Push the Status Quo with Patricia Artie. Welcome to episode 13 of the Leadership is Female podcast. Today, I am thrilled to have Patricia Artie Director of Strategic Partnerships at the U.S. Soccer Foundation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I'm really excited to talk to you today about my journey. My pleasure. And I know that we're going to get so much great information from you. So I want to just dig right in. And if you can tell us who you are, how you got there in your own words. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my name is Patricia, um, as you already know, but um, really how I got here today, I'm Haitian American. Um, I grew up in Miami, Florida, um, but at a very young age, I really recognize the inequities that exist in the world and in our country. I'll never forget um, when I was in Cape Haitian one summer watching a child play soccer um, using an empty gallon container so probably had milk or something like that in it beforehand um and at that young age you know asking my parents like why why is this the case and coming back to the U.S. some after that trip I really made a commitment 
that I wanted to dedicate my career um, to helping children reach their, their full potential. And it's been an exciting opportunity for me to really leverage my um, passion for soccer. I grew up playing the sport um, with that passion for, for social change. So my Haitian heritage definitely influences who I am today. That's incredible to hear that story and those deep rooted, um, that deep rooted foundation of, of your journey started so young. So you've got an incredible role with the U.S. Soccer Foundation. How did you earn that position? Yeah, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's luck because, you know, I definitely um, put a lot of pre preparation um, while in college. Um, I also took a nonprofit consulting fellowship right afterwards, um, really focused on me, me being able to build the skills to contribute to the social sector. Um, one of the things that when looking for a job, I remember thinking about is that I wanted to work in an organization where I was really passionate about you know, their mission. And so I thought about, you know, what are things that I'm really passionate about? So international health was one piece and that has a lot to do, you know, growing up Haitian American. But the other element was like, you know, soccer really changed my life. I found mentors through the sport. I found lifelong friends through the sport. And so I knew that that would be a really great place for me. So started looking at, you know, does MLS have any openings? Uh, does, you know, AYSO? Um, and then I looked, and just kept on Googling. And then I found some positions at the US Soccer Foundation. And, you know, I, I applied to roles that probably I was a little underqualified for. I remember my dad saying, Patricia, you know, that's really brave of you to put, uh, uh, you know, your application in for a position that was asking for someone with four years of experience. I only had two at the time. Um, but, you know, it was something I was passionate about. So I definitely put my name in the hat for that. I'm Thrilled to hear that because there's a statistic around women apply for jobs when they're 80% qualified and men apply for jobs when they're only 20% qualified. So I'm fairly certain that your ability to just go after what you're looking for is what's really lent to your success. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think maybe that's a little bit from my experience on, on the soccer field, right? If you don't take some of those chances, you'll never you know, be able to score. And I think what I figured was if I submitted this application, if I just got a phone screening, then it would allow me to actually have a connection to the organization. And then I can keep on talking with folks at the organization afterwards. Um, so definitely pulling on from like my soccer experience. Yeah, that's a great strategy and using a lot of us who work in sports today, we were athletes when we were younger and just wanted to stay around that environment. And I think those skills that you develop as an athlete can absolutely pay into your career. So you are currently pursuing an MBA and I wanted to ask you about that. What is your work-life integration with having uh, courses and, and pursuing such a big degree how did you decide to go for it? And how did you decide on a school? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so I always knew that I wanted to get an MBA. Um, it was a couple, I guess maybe a little bit over four years ago, I actually took my GMAT and was preparing to apply uh, for, 
for business school when our organization hired a chief strategy officer. And at that time, I was notified by our CEO that I would get to work really closely with her to work on public-private partnerships. And it was really an interesting time period because I had just started working on my essays and my application. And my end goal was to get a business school degree so I could like really facilitate public-private partnerships that, you know, change communities. Um, so when that happened, I decided to put a pause on the whole business school thing. I was like, you know what, I have a job that I love, you know, I'm, I'm excelling in my career. I don't really need this right now. Um, but about two years ago, I started looking at, you know, some women who I would aspire to like achieve similar success to. So really looking at, you know, chief marketing officers, chief strategy officers at large nonprofit organizations. And one common element that I saw from a majority of them was that they had an MBA. So one of the things that I really struggled with is do I leave a job that I love where I do have some job security and that's very important to pursue an MBA full-time or do I look for part-time opportunities? And so then I really started looking at the, I realized that I wanted to do the part-time opportunity route. I was already, you know, in my thirties. So it was, it was a good time for me to look at, at those options since a lot of times part-time programs lean a little bit older um, than residential programs. When it came to deciding what program to look at, understanding that I was going to be balancing, you know, home life, work life, and then school life, it was really important to find an environment that was going to be really supportive. Um, and so I really found that in Darden, um, just when speaking to alumni, um, speaking to professors, uh, there was a lot of professors that are willing to jump on the phone with me before I applied, um, as well as speaking to current students. But I think the thing that really um, drew me to Darden was that they have the case method. So basically you are reading business scenarios that, are hap that have happened to like CEOs, CMOs, et cetera. And you analyze the situation yourself as if you were them um, using some of the school, the tool sets that, the skill sets that you've learned in class. And I thought that was really applicable because you know, you're never going to be able to like study everything right before you go into a business meeting. Sometimes you need to be able to analyze things right then and there. Um, and so I felt like that that program was really giving me a real life experience. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, using those real life scenarios, that's, that's what happens to us every day in the workplace. So are you online or in person or what is, what does that look like? Yeah, so originally, um, before COVID, um, I was online and in person. So it's a really in, in, like great program in the sense that we would have class every week, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays in the evening, but then um, once a month for four days, so like four like Thursday through Sunday, we would have in-person classes, uh, which was really nice because it allows you to have that connection with your professor, but then you're always um, in contact with the material, so you can always apply the material to work on any given day. During COVID, everything went fully virtual, um, but maybe three, it was about three months ago, we started doing a hybrid 
version. So I've been going to class fully masked on, everyone fully masked, and then everyone takes COVID tests um, before um, they come on grounds for classes. Wow. What a different world we're living in this year. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> thrilled that you can continue to work towards um, such an important milestone for your career. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's exciting. And I'm really shocked that, you know, this May I'll be graduating with my MBA, but, you know, it's just been incredible. Like every day I'm applying this into, into work. And I feel like a lot of my teammates have been um, also benefiting from this experience as well. That's wonderful. Well, I'll give you a pre-congratulations. That is such a huge milestone and you deserve all the kudos and honor and virtual high fives that we can send your way. Thanks. So how do you integrate? I, I know you, you can use the integration of the, what you're learning in your business school, but how do you balance the schedule of class plus your job? Yeah. So I think like the most important thing when taking on like an extra challenge outside of work, whether it's getting a business school degree, or let's say you decide that you want to join a board of a nonprofit organization or another type of board is really setting commitments that you're going to keep yourself accountable for. And so that are about you. Um, so one of the things that I said was that, you know, morning time is going to be my time and my time with like, you know, my husband, like a very cherished time, I'm always going to work out and I'm not going to give that away. And I think that's been really helpful just for like my mental health, just to know that, that that's Patricia time. And so sometimes I'm maybe I'm behind on like reading for classwork, etc. Um, but I still don't like encroach on that time. Um, I think the second piece is like, you know, really having a strong network. I let a lot of my, my, all my colleagues know that I'm in business school, letting my friends know about the, my time commitment. So then I never feel pressured if I am not able to spend as much time as I did with them previously. Um, so that's been really helpful uh, as well. But I think it's also like knowing that it's a team, like, you know, in life, you have multiple teams, right? So whether it's in work or school um, or in any other extracurricular activity, there are people around you who you can collaborate with. So it's been really helpful for me to identify individuals in my program who sometimes like, if it's a really tough week for me at work, we'll split cases to prep. Um, so I'm never doing anything on my own. Um, and I think that, again, that's probably something I learned while playing the sport um, is that there's always individuals there to support you. Yeah, I'm hearing so much integration of your sport and now your life today. It's really awesome to hear that story. And I just want to reiterate what you said about committing your time. And then in life, you also have multiple teams and people you can collaborate with on those teams. So I'd encourage the listeners to think about what are some of the teams in your life and are there ways that you can lean into those resources a little bit more? I think oftentimes we try to do it all. And if you just raised your hand and asked for a little help, people might be grateful for the opportunity to collaborate with you. That's a great point, Emily. The other thing um, in your job, I want to switch gears back to the U.S. Soccer Federation a little bit, because in getting to know you, I have uncovered some of the really cool projects that you've gotten a chance to work on. Can you tell me about the 100 mini pitches that you have built with Target? 
Yeah, thanks, Emily. Um, yeah, that the 100 mini pitches that the U.S. Soccer Foundation is building with Target is definitely, I would say, um, one of the partnerships I've been like most excited about. Uh, it started, you know, over four years ago. Um, you know, we had a grant with Target just to work on our SOC Success Program, which is a sports-based youth mentoring program. And, um, you know, by co-collaborating with Target and giving Target updates about, you know, what the foundation was hoping to do by 2026, we were able to co-develop this uh, program in which we were going to build 100 mini pitches. So these are small soccer spaces where we convert like underutilized areas into play spaces in communities where kids don't have access to play. And so we decided we're like, hey, we're going to build 100 in a three year period. And it's it's been a lot of fun just because um, so this strategy that we had at the very beginning about building the play space, you know, it has changed so much um, just by collaborating with others and brainstorming with others, we've really innovated around the space. So initially, you know, we were just gonna build 100 play spaces generally. And then Target was like, hey, what if we engage some community artists to really design artwork that went around this space? And so we kind of brainstormed and decide like, how can we actually implement this in different communities across the country? At first it was just, you know, putting, designing artwork that got printed on, on windscreens that were just wrapped around the fences um, of each uh, mini pitch. Um, and then later on, you know, our Safe Places to Play team um, developed a concept with Musco around creating lighted fences systems that would that would allow every mini pitch that we build to have lights. And so then we thought a little bit more about well, windscreens can't fit here anymore. What else can we do to the play space? So now we actually have adhesives that go around. Um, we provide Target provides grants. Uh, to each landowner to do enhancements around the space. So some people are building community gardens around the space. Others are adding outdoor equipment so that while the kids are playing soccer, the parents are able to exercise. So really developing this notion of a community hub. And so it's just been an awesome partnership to see grow over the years. Um, and just to know that, you know, really what this came from was just developing a strong partnership and like collaborating with others. And so I definitely like recommend to audiences that you just really never know what can come up of any like relationship you have. And so definitely to never be afraid to like brainstorm with others, share with people what you're currently working on, what you're thinking about doing in the future. Cause you don't have, you don't know what they can contribute to that. Hey, just a quick break to remind you to head on over to emilyjansen.com to download your free copy of the top 10 myths about being a female leader in sports. This guide will debunk the top myths and lead you to the top. This guide will show you what's possible to achieve in life while having an incredible career in sports. Head on over to Emily Jansen, that's J-A-E-N-S-O-N.com and grab your copy. It's free. Now let's get back to this great interview. Yeah. And I was going to ask you some more follow-up questions around securing, executing, and maintaining these types of partnerships and what are your goals in community partnerships. And I've, I've already heard you give a lot of commentary to this in using a term like co-develop. It wasn't a one-sided proposal. You've really worked hand in hand with Target to help this project evolve over time. And I imagine it's quite complicated given that 
I don't know how much you you leaned into the fact this is a national project, right? This is happening all over the country. Correct. Every year we do about four to five markets uh, each year. Uh, and it's really based off of need. Um, so we do some site selection um, based off of that. And um, so, yeah, it's, it has a huge national footprint. Um, I think, you know, at the very beginning when we were having these conversations, sharing this, um, it was really just to get ideas um, from their team of saying like, hey, we're launching this idea of building 1000 of these by 2026. Like, what are your thoughts? What are these concepts? And it was really kind of getting their feedback and buy-in that really opened the door um, for this partnership. That is incredible. So that is such great insight into what you might be doing day-to-day um, -day in your role. Can you talk any more about your day-to-day -day job description? Um, how big is your team? Are you always doing outbound research on greater national partnerships? What, what else is, is entailed? Yeah, so my um, position is really unique in the fact um, that I'm in the strategy department. And so in my role, uh, I oversee a lot of like cross departmental initiatives. So I don't actually have like my own team. Instead, I'm like privileged enough to work with individuals across the organization on different initiatives. So another initiative that we have right now is called United for Girls, where we're hoping to double the number of girls in our programs. And we're also trying to develop more inclusive play spaces that attract um, all individuals, no matter how they self-identify. And so that's been exciting for me because I'm learning um, across departments. I do have like a strong fundraising background just because I started the foundation doing mostly fundraising. But it's incredible just to hear from our operations team, which does the safe place to play and learn from them, learn from our marketing team, as well as our programs team, and then integrate, you know, really what, what their strengths are and align it with the goals of the project for us to be successful. And you've been with U.S. Soccer for nine years. And in our industry, in the sports industry, um, I feel like just careers today, we move around quite a bit. Um, I shouldn't say for everybody, but for many of us. So talk a little bit about that longevity. <laughs> yeah, I'd say like a lot of my friends um, are pretty shocked that I'm still at the same organization that I started at in 2011. I think, you know, for me, one of the things that I always ask myself anytime, like, you know, is like, am I still learning and am I still growing? And I feel like at the foundation, I have been really able to do that um, over the years. When I started at the U.S. Soccer Foundation, there was only seven individuals at the organization. Today, there's 32. So being in that startup environment really allowed me to take on a lot of leadership roles right from the get-go. Um, but I think, you know, what really helped me grow and learn in this organization was that uh, my original boss, the director of development, um, suddenly left. And I just... I can't believe I did this, but, you know, being a young person that I was at the time and really knowing and thriving to grow, um, I had told the CEO, I was like, I'm happy to help in 
any way that I can um, to fill like this void while we look for the, the new head of the department. And so basically I served as like an interim head of the department um, for nearly two years. And so that really allowed me to understand like how do organizations really develop the partnerships um, to sustain the capacity of an organization. And so I started learning more about corporate fundraising. How do I work with major donors? Um, launching individual campaigns, um, understanding the inner workings of an organization, just because a lot of what I would have to raise money for was, was really how to keep the lights on at our organization. So that was an exciting um, opportunity for me. And it's a common theme among the successful women that I've interviewed on the Leadership is Female podcast is these women have raised their hands and said, I will take it on. I'll do this extra thing. Have you considered me? And it looks like uh, that story is true for you as well. Is yeah, there, no, definitely. Yeah. Um, is there a, a tipping point that you can really identify in your career? Yeah, I mean, I would say like um, taking that role as like an interim director of development definitely was a tipping point for me in the sense that it really clarified where I wanted to go. Um, I'm very good at fundraising um, and I definitely do enjoy, you know, developing partnerships. But what I understood during that time period and recognize is what I really like is the strategy development piece and that kind of that co-collaboration, that co-development aspect of it. And so I knew that in the future, I see myself more serving as like a chief executive officer or a chief strategy officer of an organization rather than being a chief development officer. So that was definitely a tipping point for me because I made um, a decision to start focusing a little bit more on strategy uh, pieces. And I made that really apparent and shared that, you know, with the leadership at my organization, not saying that like, hey, right now I need to go, <laughs> like I don't wanna be in development anymore, but just saying like, hey, you know, I'm really interested in this. So if there are opportunities for me to jump in and help out in initiatives, I need a little more strategy work. I would love to participate and learn. Yeah, and again, another great example of you being clear with your goals, with your bosses and raising your hand for any additional projects so that you could serve the organization, but also make moves in the right direction for your career. Are there any really big hurdles that you've had to overcome along the way um, that you can extract any lessons out of? Yeah, I mean, I think like the, some of like the biggest like hurdles definitely has to be when we don't achieve our goals or when I haven't been able to successfully like achieve a goal. Um, you know, we're on this huge campaign right now to reach 1 million youth by 2026. And, you know, we're, we're doing really well right now, but can't say that when it first started off, it was really easy. And I think just being like, okay, with things not going the way that you planned um, is, is really essential. You know, some of the public private partnerships that initially um, I was overseeing, we had timed those to actually only take, you know, about six months to develop and some of them took about two years and that's, you know, a frustrating piece and sometimes you may feel that you yourself are failing, but what I learned early on with that was just like as long as you're clear with, you know, 
your leadership really telling them like this is what's happening right now these are the hurdles that we're doing this is how i am approaching this problem then that that feeling of failure really dissipates right because it's really a learning rather than a failure but it did take me some time to be like okay with that the way that a failure is structured changes when you consider it through the eyes or the filter of learning it becomes an experience that was valuable rather than something that was negative. Exactly. Yeah. With your experience and in, in working in this organization and with these national partners, can you offer any advice for women? What can we do today? What can we start doing today so we can level up tomorrow? I think the the one thing is really having like a really open mind. And understanding that sports has so many different roles to play. You can get involved in the sports um, industry through apparel, right? We have an amazing partnership with, with Adidas, right? And they're doing crazy, amazing things, um, leveraging the sport to change, to change the world, um, in that sense, there's the nonprofit sector. You can, you know, join an organization like the U.S. Soccer Foundation and leverage sports to change the lives of youth. You see this happening um, abroad, where there's HIV/AIDS education being done through the sport. Um, but then you also have, like, you know, the professional teams. Um, and I think just having a really broad idea of saying, like, hey, you know, I'm really good at marketing but I love sports and just looking at all the different industries in which you can apply your strengths and your passion um, to a job that you, that you love. So I think that's like the one thing I'm always just like, you know, think outside of the box when like thinking about your career, because there's so many different pathways. Um, so I think that's like one piece of advice uh, for that. I think a second piece, and it goes back to earlier, what we were discussing is like, it never hurts to like put your name in the hat for anything, right? The worst thing that's gonna happen is that someone says no. And then from there, you can even use that as a learning experience. So if you don't get the job, you can always ask why. If you're not like assigned to a certain project, you can always learn what can I do differently um, in order to get it next time. But if you never put your name in the hat, then nothing's ever gonna come. And so I always say like, you know, just, just do it. It's a little, nerve-wracking at the beginning, especially if you feel like you're not going to get it. Um, but hey, nothing can't hurt. Right. I always like to flip what's the worst that can happen to what's the best that can happen. And I find myself using that question quite often. I'll get nervous about something um, or be very worried about something that I'm a project I'm working on. And I'll ask myself, what's the best that can happen? And to consider those outcomes versus the opposite. And I find for me, I'm so glad you mentioned it because it puts it, it puts that project in a different frame of light. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I'm definitely gonna try to rephrase that question and just say yeah. that. I'll get excited yeah. each time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, with your MBA and your full-time job. How much room does that leave for extra activities and, and what is it that you like to do in your free time? Yeah, so <laughs> um, in my free time, what I definitely really enjoy doing, especially right now um, with like shelter in place, like fully in swing um, here in Washington, DC, is I really enjoy like getting outside and like 
doing some walks this past summer. Um, I purchased a bike. My husband's a huge cyclist. Um, so we've been doing a lot of like cycling routes, but then when I'm inside, I love cooking and trying new um, recipes. So we're, we're slowly cooking our way through the New York Times recipe book. It'll take forever. Um, but it's fun just to try so many different recipes and just be a little creative. Um, sometimes we alter them as, as we're cooking. So I really enjoy that. Um, and then just like working out and, you know, connecting with people. I think that's like a huge piece of my life. All awesome stuff. I wish you could teach me to cook. <laughs> the simple meals, like the Betty Crock, I've got the Betty Crocker book on my yeah. counter. And um, that's how I, my mom was a great cook. That's how she, she taught me to cook. Um, but those next level recipes, like I'd imagine are included in the New York times, major props for that. Oh, thanks. Well, it's actually, um, definitely highly recommend. They have actually some recipes that's like how to make the, like the most simple, but best chicken. Uh, so I, I slowly started going through those first before, uh, moving on up. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. So last, but certainly not least, can you share with us your favorite quote? Yeah, so I don't actually have a quote that someone else has said, but something that you can always hear me telling others is pushing the status quo. We never need to settle for what is. Um, and I think that's, you know, clearly a piece that's a really passionate thing that I, I think about a lot. And you can kind of see that from a very young age, I, I wasn't okay with inequities that I saw. I wanted to push the status quo and I'm still striving to do that today, um, whether it's in work, in school or in my personal life. Patricia Artie, phenomenal leader, um, wonderful advice for us today. Thank you so much for sharing so generously. Director of Strategic Partnerships at the U.S. Soccer Foundation, Patricia, thank you. Thank you so much, Emily. This is great. If you push the status quo, raise your hand and take action, what could you do? Patricia already discussed all of this and more on today's podcast, including why she is pursuing her MBA and her role in strategy and execution of national partnerships for the U.S. Soccer Foundation. I boiled this all down to the top four takeaways. Number one, ask yourself, is your current employment allowing you to still learn? Are you still growing? These are the two questions to consider when thinking about moving on from an organization. Number two, commit your time. In life, you have multiple teams that you belong to. How can you work together with your teammates for collaboration? Don't be afraid to ask for help or to divide up the work. Number three, be clear with leadership about what you want. If there is an area you are looking to grow and that sector is available at the company, make it known. Raise your hand to assist that area to get experience and put action against your curiosity. And number four, have an open mind. There are lots of ways to work in sports, not just team side. Think about apparel, foundations, or even corporate initiatives. Pick your head and eyes up and be open to opportunity. Hey you, did you join my email list? I want to stay in touch with you so that you'll have the heads up on new podcast episodes and get the tips you are looking for to empower you to level up. It's easy to sign up. Head on over to emilyjansen.com. I'm so excited you are here and I can't wait to help lead you forward in the career of your dreams. Again, that's emilyjanson.com.
Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us.